Hello, and welcome to Public Key, the podcast from Chainalysis. This is your host, Ian Andrews. One of the biggest debates in crypto right now is where is the right balance of privacy and safety? Total anonymity enables criminals to operate with impunity, but zero privacy is just as dangerous. On that spectrum, where's the right balance? In this episode, I'm joined by Rick Harmson, who is cryptocurrency and blockchain investigative specialist at Chainalysis Partner Data Expert. We discuss the challenges faced by law enforcement in combating crypto and cybercrime. He details recent trends seen by his law enforcement clients in Europe, including pig butchering. Rick explains his views on the importance of privacy and what he sees as important developments in crypto technology, including decentralized finance platforms, mixers, and the emergence of privacy pools. The discussion highlighted the importance of education and training in crypto and blockchain industry. And Rick explains why he doesn't think the metaverse is dead and how future generations will prioritize Web3 ecosystems. If you enjoyed our discussion on privacy and want to learn more about privacy pools and specifically Tornado Cash, check out our blog, Understanding Tornado Cash, which is linked in the show notes. Did you know that Tornado Cash has handled over $7.6 billion worth of Ether since launching in August of 2019? And nearly 30% of the funds transferred have been tied to illicit actors. Hey everybody, we are live from Amsterdam with another episode of Public Key. This is your host, Ian Andrews. I'm joined by Rick Harmson, who is a cryptocurrency and blockchain specialist with a partner of ours, Data Expert. Rick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, great to be here. I think you have maybe one of the best titles that we've had on the podcast, <laughs> cryptocurrency and blockchain specialist. Unpack that for us a little bit. What, what do you actually do at Data Expert? Yeah, so it's a broad title, yeah. right? It's a very broad title, but the area I work in is also within different fields of expertise. So I work for Data Expert as a crypto and blockchain specialist, and most of my job is director to compliance investigations, as well as training people, training teams, basically, but also doing investigations myself with a lot of experts within within Data Expert itself also. Oh boy, we're going to get into the investigations yeah. a little bit as we get into the podcast. I'm curious how do you get to this role? When did you first get into cryptocurrency? How did you build the expertise to actually then go and train other people? So I think with most people, you stumble upon crypto on a certain time, right? And yeah. the earliest I heard about crypto was somewhere around 2014, 2015. Very early. Yeah. It was very early, yeah. but still kind of new to me back then. Yeah. Like I, I like tech, I like everything with, with cybersecurity. And so it, it appealed to me, but I looked into it, fooled around with it a little bit and I really think it was around 2016 early 2017 where we really dived into it a lot deeper and that's basically how it all started very basic stuff in the beginning on centralized exchanges and stuff like that, which are interesting to dive into it in the beginning but later on of course you want to learn more and more and more and just dive into the whole DeFi side and all the other stuff and how do you go from maybe personally investing or exploring these platforms kind of figuring out how they work to being an investigator what was that transition like my job back then was was law enforcement amongst others working in cybercrime team so doing a lot of investigations and that kind of appealed to also the tech side not only like the the personal interest that you got in crypto and i'm all blockchain i love it but of course you also get cases that that involve cryptocurrency the basic stuff like scams and things we see right now with investment scams or roman scams and all those kind of subjects so eventually it helps that you are already interested within blockchain and within cryptocurrencies 
and then suddenly you also got certain kind of cases popping up and you really are thinking like all right how can i follow the money how can we see what really happened on the victim's side yeah. and what might the suspect be doing so that's really how uh, how i really dived into the whole blockchain sector and made it my day-to-day -day job right now that's amazing. And so talk to us a little bit about data experts business, because I think you're working with a quite wide range of clients and not just on blockchain, like it, it's broader than that. It's broadly cybersecurity, if I understand correctly. Yeah. So data expert is a knowledge and technology company, yeah. if you just take it in a broad picture. So we are active in quite a lot of different fields, all related to cyber, so cybersecurity, um, but also in preventing or investigating cybercrime. So we offer products to clients, and you can think about investigative software for mobile forensics, all kinds of different forensic uh, specialties, basically, but also products for, uh, for analytics, uh, like analysis, for yeah. example. But next to the products that we are offering, we also try to specialize ourselves within training those because there's a lot of product training in the, in the markets, uh, which is great, which we also offer. But we've also got a very dedicated team with different kind of specialists who are also uh, focused upon delivering training to those products or a combination of products within the field that investigators might be working in. So we've got a lot of different employees which have worked within law enforcement and are now working for us. Um, so we can really specialize in different topics. I think this is one of the most important things going right now, which is the criminals have a bit of an advantage over law enforcement in many places because the criminals seem to understand crypto better than law enforcement. But it feels like in the last year or so that balance of power is starting to shift a little bit. I think in part due to your company doing all that training, what's your perspective on where this is? Like how much further do we have to go to have broadly law enforcement capable of fighting you know, cyber criminals who are using cryptocurrency? Hey there, just a quick interruption before Rick answers this important question. On the main stage DeFi session at Links to Amsterdam, Christian Lupescu, co-founder and CEO of Omnia Protocol, explained how difficult it is to keep up with blockchain technology in order to mitigate illicit activity due to the rapid evolution of decentralized protocols in Web3. Let's hear his thoughts. I would factor in. It's the speed that we are seeing in crypto. And I think that gives another, let's say, angle of the Wild West because one year in crypto, it's 10 years in Web 2. So once you get on a technology, you understand and you know how to manage the risk. The next 10 days or the next month, it's a totally different uh, situation. So I think that gives another complexity uh, in the wildness. But I think there are enough tools in the space that we can use to understand and to manage the risk in a good and actually in a better way that we did like 10 years or five years ago. Okay, welcome back. Christian obviously acknowledges why the Wild West narrative of cryptocurrency and blockchain still exists, but how tools like the product suite at Chainalysis are making it much easier for investigators and institutions to manage their risk than they were able to do a decade ago. Back to the interview with Rick. I do think we, we still got a long way to go yeah. because the whole crypto and blockchain sector is very, very wide within a different kind of expertises also. I've got a lot of zero knowledge proof things going on oh. right now. We've got the DeFi side going on and then suddenly different kind of scams are popping up everywhere. I think it's quite normal because as a criminal, when you are starting a scam or you're starting, if it's a Roman scam or an investment scam, you're building it up, right? And you might be rolling into it a little bit slowly in the beginning and just building it 
out and yep. then suddenly you've got all the reports coming in. So I think you're always behind for a certain bit within within the skill set that you can build as an investigator. But I do think we are coming a long way right now. Yeah. Like that's what we are focusing on, like delivering that skill set as a training so that you are ahead of the curve instead of behind of it. But also on the DeFi side and on the Roman scams and like it's really come together right now. You, you need to learn how to follow the money with, with, with analytic tooling, but also need to understand how it works on, on a personal side. Like how do you use MetaMask, for example? Yeah. Like how can you get scammed with, with, with MetaMask? All those things that you need to learn. So it's a big skill set to, to build, but from there on you can basically get all these different kind of cases related to the tech only. Are the groups that you're training, are they starting as kind of the technology experts? Is it people who are already specializing in cyber who then say, I want to add cryptocurrency or, or is it people coming from other disciplines as well in, in the law enforcement side? So from law enforcement, because we're trained public and private sector, if you take it as a whole, which is in general the way how, how people are rolling into the trainings, I think like about three years ago, you really saw like technology experts rolling in and wanted to follow training. Like they were already into the tech, they already loved computer forensics and maybe they were even like ethical hackers or something like that. So they already had a certain kind of skill set and they basically want to build on from there. But right now you also see, and I think that also has to do with, it's more publicly known right now, blockchain technology and, yeah. and cryptocurrencies so you also see people who are interested in it just want to build it from the ground level up yeah. so they really want to know all right i know what blockchain is on the broad spectrum i know what crypto is but like how does it really work yeah. how do these blocks work how does hashing work how does this whole computational power work and then how does cryptocurrency fit into it and then build on from there to basically try and, uh, and do some analytics of following money or discovering when people are communicating over blockchain technology or whatever on the private sector side are you is that work primarily with like compliance professionals or financial crimes professionals in banking and crypto businesses or is are there other other groups you're working with there so of course they are the ones following the training, but, but but also from a lot of other different kind of private sector sites, companies, or or just individuals on its own. I think you can already see a lot of people who are trying to specialize themselves into blockchain and into crypto to basically do maybe like a shift in the work that they are doing right now. Yeah, like they they are seeing potential in this technology, and it's it's an interesting field to work in. Like yeah. there's not one day that's the same as as the previous one. So that's kind of nice to see. You, you really get a very broad group of an audience basically who wants to follow this training uh, of, of different kind of trainings um, as well as just knowledge or just immediately hopping into uh, in doing the analytic side of it. I'm curious maybe some of the trends that you're seeing on the investigative side. So in 2021 we kind of named the year the year of ransomware and maybe that's a little bit of an american-centric view but it really seemed to, to spike in terms of the volume of payments it was the largest that we imported ever in terms of on-chain ransomware payments that subsided a little bit in 2022 and we really saw uh, you know, kind of financial scams, some of the pig butchering, romance scams accelerated. What's been your view? What have you seen over the last couple of years and what seems to be the hottest area that's driving the investigative activity? So I agree with the ransomware side. Yeah. Like it, it was big and it was trending and, yeah. and, and a lot of was happening and, and there were quite a lot of exploits also. But right now, like pig butchering, romance scams, uh, for a certain amount also still investment scams, even though it's gone down uh, 
quite a lot because of the bear market. But that's what we are seeing also right now. But we do see a big shift in like how, how criminals are operating right now. Mm. So in terms of obfuscating the path of where the transactions are going to, we see a lot of chain hopping, a lot of swaps between different kinds of currencies. So that's quite interesting to see. Yeah. This is really a trend that is popping up. So basically where we had normal Ethereum flows and normal Bitcoin flows from basically one starting point to another to another end point. And it was quite easy to follow, of course, with some challenges, uh, challenges here and there. But right now, just chain hopping, doing all kinds of different swaps constantly, which isn't impossible to follow. But you see that they are trying to obfuscate. Yeah, uh, the sophistication of the movement of funds and the attempt to launder them has yeah. gone way up. Which is normal, like DeFi has been around for quite a while right yeah. now. And, and also with bridging and chain hopping. Yeah, um, I mean, this drove us to build the Storyline product, right? Yeah. This, because we were recognizing that there was an acceleration of how people were attempting to cover their tracks. And it was particularly taking advantage of this kind of cross-chain, cross-asset behavior as, as one tactic. Move from Ethereum to Tron or Tron to BSC or back to Ethereum or into Bitcoin, swapping yeah. from ETH to wrapped ETH to you know native Bitcoin. That type of activity, uh, I think, would be complex to a novice investigator. Obviously, it doesn't slow you down, but for some folks, it would be quite challenging to trace some of that activity. Yeah, especially if you just started within crypto analytics. And, yeah. uh, and I agree, like with Storyline, and that's a nice thing to see, like like all these kind of shifts within investigations are also driving for basically new technologies for analytical software to pop yeah. up. And you need that, like you want to stay ahead of the curve and follow the money, yeah. just uh, just hopping from chain to chain or, or between token to token. And that's where you really need, uh, really need the software to be able to trace it. One of the things we've noticed over the last year is it seems like an accelerating focus on DeFi platforms. And this may be, you know, just shifting attention to software targets, right? It's like most of the big exchanges have matured in terms of security policy and process and procedure. Some of these DeFi platforms are quite new. Code is kind of untested in the wild, but they have lots of assets. So high value target, potentially lower barrier to compromise for some of them. What are you seeing in, in the world of DeFi? And do you foresee like a change in that trend over time? Like are the DeFi platforms getting more secure? I don't think that you that you can see that DeFi is at least focusing a lot upon security and also compliance, I think. Like there's yeah. a lot of questions right now, especially with new regulation popping up. Like yeah. is it really still easy enough to, to build a DeFi platform and run it without too much regulation? And trying to get involved with it. Those are questions from both sides, as well from the DeFi perspective, as well from the regulative perspective. How are you going to act upon these new, well, not new technologies, but new in, in terms of adoption? So there's a big shift, but I don't think it will stop DeFi. I think DeFi, in my opinion, is great. It gives opportunity for a lot of people to build new stuff, yeah. to test new certain kind of products, basically financial services in a whole new, a different kind of uh, spectrum. And I, I think you can still see it right now. Yeah. DeFi platforms are popping up and all kinds of different chains like Arbitrum and Life and all these DEXs are popping up. So it won't stop it, but I think people are thinking more about how can we comply to the current landscape that we're in right now. And I've seen that with talks also, like I've met some people within DeFi also. And you can see that they are focusing upon like what is our exposure? And that's interesting, right? What is our exposure right now? Which people are buying? Which kind of wallets are involved and stuff like that? That's very interesting to see that they are focusing upon it. And there's a lot of open source software that you can use. Uh, there's a lot of analytical 
classical tooling that can be used for this. So I'm curious like how they are going to adopt this like this. You got yeah. the, you got the anonymous side and people are want to be a little bit more in the foreground. I'm curious your take on a related topic. You mentioned Tornado Cash. The interesting thing from our analysis is prior to the sanctions, Tornado Cash had a mix of funds falling through it. Some that were clearly illicit, you know, quite a lot of stolen funds that appeared to be stolen by the North Koreans and part of their laundering was using Tornado Cash. That probably led to the sanctions. But there was also a lot of activity that appeared to be innocent, right? Like people who just legitimately were seeking privacy, didn't want the world to, you know, because their wallet is well known, to know that they were moving funds in a particular way. So now that the sanctions have been put in place, all of that legitimate activity is gone. But the criminal activity levels are actually roughly the same as they were to the sanctions. So I think there's a point of view in the industry that privacy is a, a necessary feature. And so we're seeing people spawn new versions. Like there's, there's something called privacy pools. There's a lot of activity around ZK or zero knowledge proofs coming into play. What's your take on this area? Do you think they should exist? Is there a place for them in the ecosystem? And is there a way to do it that's sort of safe and compliant? So we get privacy without facilitating criminal activity. Yeah, the topics upon privacy versus like can you comply to a regulation with these kind of different privacy pools, basically, yeah. Where, yeah. where you are based upon zero knowledge proof or anything else. And privacy is normal, right? People want privacy. It's impossible to think that people do not like privacy. And I always try to compare it like with Ethereum, for example, if you've got an Ethereum account and it's known to someone, then people can see what your funds are. Yeah. And you might spread it around between different kind of wallets, but if you shift some Ethereum to one of these wallets, yeah. you can still try and relate certain kind of addresses together like these are belonging to one person for example so in a certain way it's quite easy to see the balance and right now in, in the current scene there are a lot of people working DAOs for example and they are getting paid from the DAO because they have some nice activity in there so people were focused on like how can I get my funds somewhere where I can't be followed by let's say everyone with, with whom working in, uh, yeah. in the DAO. And that's where activity from Tornado Cash, for example, came from, right? People working in DAOs, for example, they put it to Tornado Cash. Yeah. And, and not everybody is well known within what red flags might be if you try to cash it out on exchange, for example. And they just did it. And they were like, all right, at least I can't be followed by just everyone right now. Right. Like you wouldn't want to read your bank account. You don't want the API on your bank account just following what your balance is all the time. And that's exactly the same basically the, with, with an Ethereum address like this. Yeah. The way I put it to people who aren't in the space is like if you're in the queue at a store and you go up to pay, you tap your credit card on the merchant's terminal, the merchant knows something about you, right? They've collected yeah. your card because you've bought a product from them, you've paid them. The payment network, Visa or MasterCard, they have your information. They're running fraud checks to make sure that the transaction doesn't appear to be maybe a stolen card, like you're actually the person who's supposed to be able to spend money on it. And your bank, the issuing bank for the card also does something similar. So there's kind of four parties that are involved in the transaction. And obviously the payment processor, the bank sees all your transactions. The merchant only sees the one yeah. that you're participating in, but no one in the line behind you gets to see all your transactions. <laughs> they don't know anything about your bank account balance or how much credit you've spent on your card, like all of that is private. 
right? And it's maintained for you, but it's not anonymous. No. There's very little in this world that I can imagine that is truly anonymous. And it seems like we're struggling to find the right line to draw in the world of cryptocurrency, where we enable privacy for most people, but we still enable law enforcement to stop really bad criminals doing terrible things. Yeah, and, and it's a fine line with things like Tornado Cash. Like, it isn't impossible to, to, to trace through if people are compliant within the information that they're giving, if there are any questions, for example. Mm -hmm. Like, you want to cash out at a broker or, right. or, or the funds are going into an exchange. So it's not like it's impossible. And and with a lot of cases, we've seen it uh, through time where it was possible to follow funds through Tornado Cash even when you didn't even know any other kinds of information just by looking at certain kind of behavior. With Tornado Cash, it really brought up the, the whole topic, like yeah. especially like, like what you use as analogy, like you don't want a big sign above your head, like, all right, now he has this left in his bank account, right? <laughs> exactly. So that's why these privacy pools are existing. And now regulation, of course, is looking at, at the fact like, all right, should you allow this kind of behavior? Should you allow funds coming from these kind of pools? flowing into other centralized parties, for example. And the topic is quite interesting because you already see a lot of different kind of protocols like privacy pool. As tech is gaining some popularity right yeah, now. And, yeah, and, and, and let's say stealth addresses that was immediately yeah. brought forward by, by Vitalik. And a lot of different kind of projects where even certain privacy features exist right now where you can just transact a certain kind of token without even having to use Ethereum on the Ethereum blockchain itself as gas fee in your wallet immediately present. So the whole network just arranges this from one token on its own and so you see a lot of different kind of more difficult privacy features popping up so it really brought up a lot of new technical capabilities where a lot of developers are focusing upon but also a lot of topics for the regulation side and I'm interested in how it works because you, you can't stop DeFi right. it will happen anyways in my opinion at least like if people want to develop it it will be developed so you can't really rule it out as the whole sector of DeFi like all right only compliance through this and that and, and so on because people can develop whatever they want and i think the the perspective of the industry even prior to cryptocurrency like open source software development it's like yes anyone can write anything and make it available on the internet and there's not liability to the developer it's the person using it you know if you're using it for good or using it for bad well that's the user's responsibility not necessarily the original creator that doctrine seems to be being challenged right now and i think it'll be a very interesting kind of legal precedent to original developers bear you know meaningful responsibility for their creations i don't know if you have a perspective on on that Within these kind of cases, people always talk about what's the intent yeah. when you're developing this kind of code and when yeah. you're putting it open source and people can just also use this code for their own purposes again and, and try to build further on it. And it's hard, I think. I think it might be a problem for certain kind of developers like, all right, I'm not gonna try to write this right now because it might have some backfire effect on me later on. Yeah. And some people are like, well, I'm all about privacy. I'm all about open software and I'm just going to write it right now and I'll put it online and I'll see what happens. And I think that that's really the core of blockchain and, and crypto on its own. Like like some people really want to drive the technology and some people right now might be a little bit more hesitant because they also just want to participate in a normal day-to-day -day job that they are maybe working in right now. And they don't want to get ruled out because they went to jail for six months for <laughs> writing a certain kind of code that purposely or just without the knowing are going to be used within a criminal access somewhere. Yeah. It's a difficult kind of subject to think about, I think, if you're developing real open source uh, technology right now that you just put online for everybody to use. 
Different topic. So we're obviously a Chainalysis annual conference here for our European yeah. customers, but you just had your company's annual conference in Stockholm, right? Tell yeah. us a little bit about that. What were the themes of the conference? What did folks talk about? So the themes on the conference are very wide. Like we have OSINT, we got cyber, we yeah. got crypto, of course, yeah. Yeah. which is amazing. Old track on crypto also. And we got all kinds of vendors who are, who are present over there. And within crypto, I think we see a lot of basically what we are talking about right now. I think yeah. that, that, that is why we're talking about it. It's all these different kind of new technologies popping up in blockchain technology. So a lot about zero knowledge, DeFi, and the biggest focus is upon basically how can we look at these transactions, still follow them, still be compliant, for example, from all kinds of different perspectives, which is good, like, because that is essentially what will form the whole debate on, on what should be allowed, what shouldn't be allowed, or how can we just comply even if it's totally decentralized. And that's very interesting to talk about. And of course, we are talking about, about certain cases that have happened and, and so on to really understand like, like how, how certain technologies work. And it's nice to see that, that crypto, even with OSINT and other kind of topics, are really intertwined right now. So everybody wants to learn or use blockchain technology to their advantage. So I think we will see a lot of new new adoption happening in, uh, in the coming in the coming time, in the coming years. Ah, uh, that's exciting. Last question before I let you get back to the conference. What are you excited about when you look to the coming year? What's an area you're either planning to, to invest some time learning about or a, a thing that you think we're all going to be talking about by the end of the year? I think we're not done with metaverses yet. So. I would not have expected that yeah. pr prediction. Okay. Like for me, that's just very interesting. I, I love the whole concept of it. I think if you look at the current sector right now with what kids and so on are playing around 14, 15, 16 years, like it's already like a close metaphors what, what they're using when they're playing all these games yeah. and they are growing older. So they will dive into this kind of new yeah. technologies and see like how can we use that for basically what we are doing right now and yeah. maybe even to really own a certain piece of item and to be able to transact it for money and we see it with different kind of companies already where skins are being sold and and so yeah. My 11-year-old is a huge Fortnite player. For his birthday, yeah. he got a ton of V-Bucks and yeah. to buy skins, you know? That was the most popular present he got. I can relate <laughs> to that with, with my little one. And, and they just love it, right? Yeah. And, and all of it, they, they grow and they already heard about blockchain technology and, yeah. and cryptocurrencies yeah. with things like, like Sandbox and the Central Land and all these kind of metaverses popping up. Yeah, we entered the beer market and people are a little bit hesitant and now AI is totally trending and well at, at the moment it's meme coins right <laughs> so 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 that's also trending but it's a very good technology i think yeah. uh, like how you incorporate blockchain technology and crypto and, and in game environments yeah so I don't think we're done with it. I'm looking forward to train people in those kind of areas because it's still all related also with transactions and when things are being sold or passed over. So there's a lot of ground to gain in there. I love it. I would not have guessed you were going to say metaverses at all. That's a great yeah. place to end. Rick, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Hey there. Thanks for listening to another episode. Our team has been working hard to make our content available on all the major platforms. So right now, Take out your phone, head over to your favorite social media app. You can subscribe to our new TikTok, our revamped YouTube. You can sign up for our LinkedIn newsletter, and of course, 
follow us on Twitter or Telegram. Just search for at Chainalysis. Big news last week in the cryptocurrency industry. On July 13th, the industry reacted with excitement when Judge Annalisa Torres of the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York ruled that Ripple did not violate securities law in selling its token via public exchanges. That decision cuts against claims made by the SEC, both in this suit and others against the crypto industry, that most cryptocurrencies should be regulated as securities, like stocks and bonds. While the judge found that Ripple did violate securities law in its sale of XRP to institutional investors, the rulings giving the industry hope that other crypto deemed securities by the SEC and other cases may see similar rulings and be allowed to continue to trade as normal on exchanges without the risk of securities laws violations by token issuers or the exchanges themselves. But given the number of other legal cases underway, as well as the congressional momentum on crypto legislation, there's still a lot to sort out. Read our full blog in the show notes that talks more about the case and the impact on the crypto markets when this story hit newsstands around the world.